Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sandra. I am. Um, I woke up this morning um, with a bit of the flu and was feeling a bit ill. And Sandra gave me a beautiful reminder this evening that in our weakness, Christ's strength is shown. Um, and so I'm just going to commit tonight to God and um, yeah, bring it to Him. Father, we thank you that even in our weakness and our frailty, you are strong, that you are with us here as we gather. Father, I thank you that despite my sickness and my weakness, you are, you are still strong. You do not change. Father, I pray that you'd be with me as I speak. You'd give me the words to say and the wisdom to say it. Father, I pray for all our hearts that they would be open, that our eyes would be able to see you and our ears to hear you. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right. Now, I want you to start by imagining a relationship, a perfect relationship. Like, this is the sort of relationship that on paper looks flawless. Like, I'm talking really good holidays, really great meals out, breakfast in bed. I'm talking gifts. I'm talking flowers. I'm talking if you saw this relationship or this friendship or marriage on paper, you'd be like, that's the one I want. It looks perfect. It's a perfect sort of transcript of a relationship. I want you to picture that in your head. And I want you to picture the same relationship in light of some new information. And that's that in this same relationship, the two people involved, despite how perfect it looks, don't love each other. That there is no love for the other person within this relationship. I think when we hear that, it sort of, there seems to be some sort of dissonance in our mind because those two things are at odds. A perfect relationship, but without love. I mean, what's a relationship without love? And who really cares if it, if it looks perfect if there's no love? Because if we're honest, if you, like, what's a date without love? It's just an event to occupy three hours on a weeknight or whatever and fill your stomach. A gift without love is just a material exchange, right? As I was thinking about this, I was like, why do we like flowers? I don't really like flowers anyway, but on the whole, we like flowers. Um, and I was like, yeah, they, they look pretty and they smell nice, but like in the end, they like die a couple of days later and then you have to like just chuck them out. Like they're not really a great gift, but like the reason why we love flowers is because it's a token of love from another person or of thanks. And if you take the love out of it, it's just flowers. Right? And I don't think anyone of us here, I certainly wouldn't, would choose a perfect relationship on paper over a relationship where there is love. But I'm not really sure what we would call a relationship without love. It definitely wouldn't be a perfect one. And all the, all the good things about a, re- a perfect relationship actually flow from love. Because love makes us act. If we love someone, we want to show them that we love them. And not only does love make us act, love provides meaning to our actions. It makes the gift matter because we understand who gave it to us, because we love the person who gave it to us, because we understand that it comes from their love for us. I think we can see this in terms of human relationships and in friendships or dating relationships or marriages, but sometimes I think we, we stop too short and we don't extend this same way of thinking to our relationship with God. I think it comes down to a question. And the question is, 
What do you think God wants from you? What do you think that God wants from you and from your life? And this is where the Jews that Paul is writing to, or the church in Rome that Paul is writing to, made a mistake. Because they thought their relationship with God was a perfect transcript or a perfect documentation of their life. And it was perfect on paper. That's what they thought God wanted. That's what they thought a relationship with God looked like. And they were doing all this stuff for God. And it would have looked really noble and admirable. I mean, like if someone goes, I'm just really working on my righteousness. I'm just trying to better myself. That sounds really admirable, doesn't it? It sounds really holy. They weren't acting this way because they loved God. They were acting this way because they loved what they were doing. In fact, more than that, they really just loved themselves. And what they do, they slipped into this this legalistic mindset where the Jews, the people of Israel, had gone back to obeying the, the Old Testament law. And that was their way of having a relationship with God. They just kept the law. They did everything right. They had this perfect transcript. And the problem with that is, is that that transcript, that standard, that moral code became their God. Because that's what happens in legalism, is the standard you're trying to adhere to becomes your God. Because all your efforts are about meeting a standard. And you forget the relationship and the love of God. And I think we're at risk of a similar form of legalism. And I don't think we're really at risk of going back to fulfilling the Old Testament law, because thankfully bacon's way too delicious for us to really go and do that. We're not going to go back and fulfill the Levitical law, but I think there is something very similar about the legalism of the Jews that Paul is writing to, to a state of our heart, a heart of legalism, a heart of stubbornness. And why it's a different context, so it plays out a bit differently, I think the way in which it plays out today for us is something that I would call Christianity. Or if we're being a bit more specific, maybe Western Christianity. Or Western 21st century Sydney Australian Christianity. Right? It's this... It's this legalistic mindset we slip into where church doesn't really become the the gathering of the saints, the kingdom of God. It becomes an event that's on on a Sunday, 5 for 5.30. And we meet, and this is church, and it's just about coming. And the Bible isn't a means to connect and hear from a God who loves us. It's just a book that we read. Prayer isn't about communicating with our Father. It's sort of this strange practice we do each night where we just speak out loud. Fellowship, if we're honest, is just an excuse to grab a drink with someone. And evangelism is about leading people to the love of Jesus. It's sort of this new way to boast about some sort of intellectual superiority or like, listen to my cool ideas about the universe. And we begin to evaluate the state of our soul And our spiritual relationship in terms of these things. It's like, I'm good with God because I go to church every week. I'm good with God. I read my Bible today. I pray every night. And we begin to evaluate our spiritual health by these actions. As if they were the, the, the end goal of Christianity. And I don't mean to come up here and say those things are terrible things to do. I think they're great things to do. But if they're the end result of your Christianity, I think we've lost the point. I believe these things are a means, and the end is a relationship with the Father through Jesus. 
Or to put it another way, excuse the analogy here, but if Jesus was an illness, that's the, you can excuse that part of the analogy, but if Jesus was the illness, the symptoms would be these things, right? You know, if I've been infected with a love for Jesus, I want to be at church, right? It's a symptom that plays out in my life. <laughs> Thanks, Nikki. <laughs> and so while it's a different stumbling block, as Paul calls it, it shows the same heart in humanity that the Jews had in first century Palestine or first century Rome in this situation, and we can still have today. I was, um, I was listening to this podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it was to do with the idea of human nature. And it was talking about the idea that as an individual, as, as Jonathan Wintle, I'm 23 years old. Right? As an individual, I'm 23. But as a human being, I'm as old as humanity. Why? Because the same human nature that I share in has been remarkably unchanged since the beginning of humanity. And I think as I was thinking about that idea and I came to this text and I was reading it, I could see that throughout the entire Old Testament, New Testament, even though the context changes, the culture changes, it's different people and different times, there is something remarkably consistent about the human heart and its response to each other and to God. It's the same stubbornness. And this is what Paul picks up on in the text here. He picks up on the stubbornness of the human heart, and because of its stubbornness, the efforts of that person become futile. Look at verse 31. He's talking about, about the people of Israel, the Jewish people. He goes, But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. They pursued the law. They were pursuing righteousness. It would have looked really admirable and really holy, as I said. And while they were devoted to the things of God, they had missed the crucial factor, which was being a disciple of Jesus. They were devoted to the things of God, to God-sounding things, but they had forgot the relationship. They had forgot to be a disciple of Jesus, and they had traded that discipleship for devotion to this abstraction, this idea, this moral standard and, and code of conduct. Or for us today, they had traded a relationship with Jesus for devotion to Christianity and whatever it looks like for us today. But I love this contrast that Paul brings out between the Jews and the Gentiles, Gentiles, Gentiles being the, the non-Jewish people. In verse 30, he says this, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, have obtained it, and a righteousness that is by faith. I love that line, because they didn't even try and get it, and they got it. Like the, the Jews were trying really hard to attain righteousness by their own strength and might and spirit, but the Gentiles, they just encountered Jesus. They fell in love with him, and they came to him, and they were given his righteousness. You know, we, we read about in the Old Testament the idea of God's holiness and God's perfection. And we being the unholy and unperfect people we are, we can't step into that holiness and that righteousness. But the Gentiles, they didn't try and get right before they came in. They encountered the man Jesus. They loved him. They came to him and God brought them in and God made them righteous by his power. There's a saying I remember as a kid, some of you, I'm assuming most of you know it, um, can't have your cake and eat it too. 
right? I used to hate that as a kid because I wanted to do both. Um, still do. Um, but the thing I love about Christianity and a relationship with Jesus is you can have your cake and you can eat it too. Because look, look at what the Gentiles did. They, they didn't pursue righteousness. They just followed Jesus. And not only did they just get, they got Jesus, they also got his righteousness. They got a relationship with the Father and the righteousness of Jesus given by God. Whereas the Jews who tried to attain it on their own strength not only failed at having a relationship with the Father, they failed at even attaining righteousness. But the Gentiles, by faith, received a relationship with God and the righteousness of Jesus. So the question I have for us today, for us to think about is, are we trying to get right with God by meeting a standard of what it looks like to be a 21st century Christian? Or are we seeking Jesus and a relationship with him who gives us his righteousness through his death and resurrection? What are we seeking? And then Paul goes, goes on in verse, um, well, end of verse 32. It says, they stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. And he quotes the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. He says, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. There's a lot of concepts floating around in this passage. We're going to try and briefly explore them. So it starts off with the idea of Zion. What is Zion? Zion is, Zion is God's holy mountain. It's Mount Zion. It's Jerusalem. It's the temple. But more than that, it's a symbol as well. It's a symbol of, of God's presence, of God's people, of God's dwelling place, where the things of God are, where the blessing of God is. That's what Zion comes to represent. And then we get this idea of the stone that causes people to stumble. Paul calls it the stumbling stone. And this is really interesting because throughout the Bible, there's this notion of stumbling as a sign of God's judgment. That those that trust in the Lord will never stumble, but those who reject will stumble and fall. It's a sign of judgment. And it leads to a question of what is a sign, a symbol of judgment doing in the symbol of of God's blessing and presence. Why is it there? And then we get this strange line at the end that says, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Well, who's the him in this situation? Well, it's referring to the stone. That the stone isn't just a stone, it's actually a person. And we know from the New Testament that Jesus describes himself as the stone that the builders has rejected. And it becomes, he becomes the capstone. Jesus is the stone that makes people stumble and fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. What's it saying there? It's saying that the true Zion... The true blessing of God, the presence of God, is found within Jesus himself. It's found within him. His blessing, his righteousness, his joy and his peace and all those things that we seek, they're found in Jesus. Yet Jesus is the very person we stumble over and refuse to accept. Now, as, we, as we head towards the things that we really want, you know, if we're seeking righteousness, we're seeking to be a good person, and we're on that path, and we're like, I'm all about righteousness, I'm all about self-betterment, I want to be a good person, and we encounter Jesus, we stumble over him, we go, Jesus, 
I'm sorry, I don't have time for you. I need to make myself better. I need to get righteous. I, I don't have time for your, your, your morals and your religion. I've got to go there. And Jesus is saying, I'm right here. That righteousness and that goodness you seek, it's found in me. Or we're on this path where we're looking for peace because we're stressed out and life gets the better of us. And we're on this path for peace and we stumble over Jesus and we go, sorry, Jesus, I, I, I don't have time for all that you bring. I don't have time for your religion. I'm stressed. I need peace. I'm heading there. Get out of the way. And Jesus says, I'm right here. That peace that you desire, that's found in me. I am your peace. He goes on to say that the love that we're looking for, that's found in Jesus as well. That joy that we crave, it's in Jesus. And he is saying, I'm right here. Stop stumbling over me. Trust in me. Accept me. And those things that you're searching for, you'll find them in me. He's a stumbling stone. I think we either encounter Jesus on the way, where we find him and we realize who he is and we accept it and we find him on the way and we find all that we were after in him. Or we come to Jesus, we stumble over him and we find him in the way. An obstacle to get round. Someone to just move out the way as we continue on our path to wherever it is that we're going. The things of Zion, the things of God, it's not found in our deeds. It's not found in our, in our church attendance. It's found in Jesus. We need to accept him and love him. And he is right here with us today. He is right here with us in our lives. He's not in the way, but we need to find him on the way. And he's not distant. He's not hard to find. All of us at some point or another have stumbled over him. Or we've come to him and we've accepted him. And right now, he's waiting for us all to fully accept him, to surrender it all to him. And go, all the things I'm looking for, they're found in you, and I accept you, and I trust you. This leads to a question. If Jesus contains all that we want, why do we pass him by? Because we know what we want. When we see something that we want, we just accept it. We go, that's what I want, sweet. If Jesus does have all that we want and all that we need, surely we wouldn't pass him by so easily. We would go, ah, yeah, this is it. Sweet, I'm here. So why do we stumble over him if he has all that we want? It's because the character of Jesus, it's because the message of the gospel completely goes against our pride as humans. Because the message of the gospel is the message that you can't do this on your own. You can't make yourself good enough. Try it as you might. You could be the best human you could possibly be, and you won't be good enough for God. You can't get there without the cross. The cross of Jesus says only through me can you enter God's presence. Only by accepting me can you be good enough. You can't do it on your own. The message of Jesus says all these things that you're looking for, you can't get there through, through your own perseverance and your stubbornness of will. And for times you might enjoy the, the, the fleeting pleasures of the world. The world can give us an extent of joy and peace, that, but the world can take it away. And how many of us have come to a place where we feel at peace only for a week later for it to be completely shattered? 
or to experience joy and it just fades as quickly as it entered into our life. If we spend our life grasping after the joy and peace of this world, Ecclesiastes said it's like trying to grab the wind and it just escapes through our hands. The message of Jesus, the message of the cross and the gospel undermines our human pride and says, you can't do it. You need me. But I am right here. I am with you. I am for you. If only you would come and accept me. To stop stumbling over Jesus as you try and get right with God on your own. To stop tripping over his message of love for you as as you pursue satisfaction and happiness. He is right here today waiting for you with his arms outstretched if only you would come in and accept him. I started by saying that no one would choose a relationship that looks perfect over one with love. We would always choose the love in a relationship. Have we chosen the love of Jesus or have we chosen the perfect transcript of what it looks like to be a Christian? Have we chosen devotion to a concept or a standard over discipleship and a loving relationship with the God who made us and formed us? And if you do admit that Jesus is your life, if Jesus is your sickness, so to speak, let your life be a symptom of that. Wherever you go, the people would see you and go, ah, Jesus. (laughs) They would see him through your actions. And to know that All that you truly seek is found in him, and he's right here waiting for you to accept him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you that despite our failure and despite our weakness, you still choose to love us that you knew all that we would be, all that we would do, and all that we would do in the future, and you still chose to love us. And Father, we thank you that even though we can't get right with you on our own terms, you came down to this earth to live among us and to die for us so that we could have your righteousness through faith, that it is not dependent on us at all, but is entirely dependent on you. Father, I just pray that you would help us to stop striving to stop striving to find you through the things that we do, but to accept that we have you and to live in light of that. We thank you that we can all be here tonight. Please use this night in our lives forever. Amen.